and uh, he's embarking on a new and frightening adventure. As I read uh, this passage, I was reminded of another new and frightening adventure, but this one from the world of film. I'm just going to show that clip um, now. Come along, Samwise. Keep up. Be careful, both of you. The enemy has many spies in his service. Birds. Beasts. Is it safe? Bevo put it on, for the agents of the Dark Lord will be drawn to its power. Always remember Frodo. The ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. This is it. This is what? If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. Come on, Sam. Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. If you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. We were thinking over these last few weeks about parenting for faith. How can we instill in our children and our young people a faith that will sustain them for the journey ahead? It would have been so much easier if Gandalf had just stayed with the hobbits. Why does he leave them? Why does he go away? In a dark and dangerous forest, he disappears. He's their magical protector, and yet he sends them off on their own. That's what parenting is. That's what we do. We prepare our children, our young people, for a life without them, without us. We invest in them for the future because we know that one day they will journey on their own and they will make their own way in the world. That's what's happening to Jacob in our passage that I read to us. So I was reading from Genesis. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, one of the oldest books of the Bible, uh, a book that is over, um, well, was written over 2,000 years, about 2,000 years before uh, Jesus Christ. One of the oldest uh, pieces of human literature. And the book of Genesis tells the story of the great heroes of the faith, of Adam and Eve, of Noah, of Moses. Uh, tells the story of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Abraham. Four characters take up most of the story of the book of Genesis. Abraham, the patriarch, a a shepherd in Ur of the Chaldees, probably an area we know as Iraq. 
called by God to leave his home, leave his people, leave those he is familiar with, and venture off into the unknown. A promised land. Doesn't know where it is, doesn't know what it will look like. He just knows he has to trust God for his future and the future of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, the youngest of whom is Joseph. It's interesting that in this world, this world which seems so foreign to us, so ancient to us, so uh, far away from us, so different to us, that we see God working through a family. And yet the dynamics of those families are so familiar to us. Human nature does not change. And though the circumstances of life change, though the challenges uh, we face may change, still the dynamics are the same. It's interesting to me as I kind of reflected on this passage this week to see who God is working through in this passage, in these passages. This was a patriarchal society. This was the society where uh, the eldest son was the pride of the father, where the eldest son inherited the family name, where the eldest son inherited the wealth of the family, where the eldest son carried on the, the responsibilities of the family. And who does God work through in this family? Well, Abraham, his eldest son, is Ishmael. And yet God works through Isaac, the younger, the child of promise. Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is strong. He's the elder. He's a hunter. He's a fighter. He's a man's man. Jacob, we're told, didn't like to stray far from his mother's tent, would hide in his mother's apron. He would spend his time doing women's work, cooking the meals at home for when the men, the strong hunter men like Esau, when they came back home. Esau, we're told, was the favorite of his father. Everything you would want for in an older son. Jacob? I imagine Isaac and Rebecca, his wife, chatting about Jacob. Esau will be fine. He will make his way in this world. He'll be strong. He'll be fine. But, but what are we going to do about Jacob? The tender-hearted, the shy, the cook, the one who likes to hide in the tents. And yet God works through Jacob. God's promises are fulfilled through the younger, weaker son. Jacob, he's not a nice person, certainly in his younger years. He cheats his elder brother out of his inheritance. He cheats him out of his uh, blessing, which was his birthright. You can read the story. Um, if you want to, some of you will be familiar with it. And so he realizes pretty quickly, he wakes up and realizes, he, this Esau is not a man to be crossed. And it would be better for everybody if he left home. And so he, he ventures out on his journey and he ventures out on his own. Uh, this was a time where you'd find hospitality, where you'd be looked after by your extended family. This was a time where kin and tribe were everything. And so Jacob goes off on his great 
adventure, his fearful adventure. And there's no relative who can find a space for him. There's no one who has got a spare tent that they can lend him. There's no one who will take him under their protection. And so on this first night of his journey, his first night alone, he sleeps out under the stars. All his God is a stone for a pillow. And he has an uncomfortable night's sleep. And he dreams. He dreams a dream that is to be remembered through history. He sees a giant stairway heading up to heaven. And on that stairway, angels are ascending and descending. And above the stairway is the Lord himself. And the Lord speaks to Jacob. He speaks of where he has come from. He speaks of his past. I'm the God of your grandfather, Abraham. I'm the God of your father, Isaac. He speaks of his future. I will bring you back to this land. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And then he speaks of his presence. I'm with you. And I will guard you wherever you will go. And I will bring you back to this land. Jacob was the first person in the Bible to hear these words of assurance. I am with you. It's a promise that will be repeated again and again throughout the scriptures as God reassures his people of his presence with them. To Moses, he will say, I am with you. To Gideon, as he faces armies encamped around him, God will say, I am with you. To Joshua, as he's about to cross the the Jordan and enter into a, a promised land, but a land which will be full of conflict and hardship, God says, I am with you. In the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews Uh, reminds his listeners of these words. The Lord has said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. More than this, not only will God not leave Jacob, but he will guard him. He will protect him. He will watch over him. And he will bring him home. This theme of uh, protection is part of the significance of the stairway. I must admit, I've never really understood the significance of the stairway. I get, I get the promises, but what's the stairway all about? Let me, let me help you. Um, the past is a foreign land, and its ways are different to our ways, uh, a novelist once said. And so it is in this uh, case. In the culture of the day, as I said, uh, tribe, kin, family were everything. They were your protection. They were your, uh, your, your providers. They were your people. When you were with them, you were safe. When you were alone, uh, you were vulnerable. And uh, the people of Jacob's day, they would have a belief, whatever kind of tribe they're of, that there would be angels protected them. That the gods, and in those days that it was gods, the gods would watch over them and the gods would provide angels, guardians, who would look after the tribe, who would guard the tents, who would look after the land where the people uh, dwelt. 
What are the dangers of leaving the land? What are the dangers of leaving your father's tents? You were walking away from the angels who would be guarding you and protecting you. You'd be uh, left alone. You'd be losing your temporal protection, your earthly protection, and also your spiritual, your heavenly protection. And so scholars think that actually the significance of this dream for Jacob, as he spends this first night away from home, alone, having cheated his brother, having been cast out, as it were, with nothing but a a stone to lay his head on, as he contemplates leaving his father's land, a land he won't return to for 20 years, he's thinking, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm leaving the protection of my father and I'm leaving the protection of the angels who guard this land. And God shows him a dream. And there is a shift change going on in the heavenly realms. One group of angels are ascending back up to heaven. Their work is done. They're clocking off at the end of the shift. They're leaving their duties of protecting uh, Jacob and his, uh, and his, uh, his uh, kind of, uh, family. But a new shift are clocking on. Fresh angels are descending. They're coming down the ladder from heaven. And they will guard Jacob. And they will protect him. And they will walk with him as he enters into a new land. Psalm 91. He will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jacob wakes up the next morning and he he takes a stone, he puts it upright like a pillar and he pours oil upon it. It's It's an act of consecration, of declaring something to be special, to be holy. And he declares this place, this will now be known to me as Beth El. El means Lord or God, Beth means house. This is the house of God for me. This is the place where I met God. I read this verse at the start of our service. Uh, Jacob says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He leaves a marker. He leaves a, a, a cairn or a milestone that says, This is the place where I met God. Markers, milestones are important in journeys. They show us the way. Uh, they show us the way that we've, we've gone. We can look back and we can see the track, uh, the way that we've come up the mountain or through the valley, wherever we've gone. Uh, when our kids were younger, we would go on walks in the countryside. We'd, we'd build little cairns as we walked along. And then as we came back, we'd look for them, uh, to try and find them. Or we'd race on to the next tree or find a stick. And then as we journeyed back down, we'd look for that stick again or we'd look uh, for that tree again. They'd show us where we have come from. They encourage us. We can look back and see how far we've come. And when we need to journey home, they can show us the way home too. Marcus milestones, they encourage those who come behind as well. They show them the way. They show them the direction of travel, the way the journey has gone. One of the things that we're doing is we're seeking to parent for faith, as we're seeking to engage our children in the faith that we have, is we want to show them the way. We want to show them the milestones. We want to make the most of the the points along the journey. One of the things that we can do as as adults is to explain to our children 
Well, these have been the milestones for me. These have been the significant points along the way. These have been the places where and when I met with God. In great times, moments of great joy and great celebration. In difficult times, moments of of hardship and uh, hurt. It's not just about teaching stories or imparting knowledge or passing on the baton, although all of these things are good and important. It's about sharing the milestones of our lives. How do we navigate difficult teenage years? Where was God in that time for us? How do we navigate bereavement? Where was God in that time for us? How do we navigate choosing a college course or university? Thinking about getting married or remaining single. Thinking about what we would do with our lives. How do we navigate that journey for us? Jacob is a young man at this point. God meets with him at this time. One of the great joys of uh, being a Christian of faith is that there's no point in which God does not, uh, does not meet with us. Or there is, well, there is one point at which I, it seems to me God does not meet with us. Uh, the prophet Joel says, your young men will have visions and your old men will dream dreams. The young men will meet with God, the old men will meet with God. It's those middle-aged people. They need to watch out. They need to watch out. Seriously, God promises to meet with us throughout our lives. And one of the things that we can do is, is explain that, explore that with our children. It's amazing, isn't it, as a parent, when your children are doing things that you can remember doing as a child. That first bike ride, that first day at big school, that choosing um, uh, you know, what you might study, first girlfriend, first boyfriend, all of that kind of stuff. Those markers, those milestones. One of the joys of my children getting older is that um, your conversations about faith, they become more adult. I've got a 16-year-old coming up for 17, suddenly talking to him about relationships and sex and all that kind of stuff. And exploring about, okay, how me and his mother handled that as we were Christians, as we, we were dating. Might as well be talking about kind of the existence of unicorns. It just blows his mind. <laughs> He leaves a marker. We leave markers too and we pass those on to our children. The second thing that happens in this moment, this moment of encounter, is that the faith of his fathers becomes Jacob's faith. The faith of his fathers becomes Jacob's faith. For Jacob, this is his first personal encounter with God. He knew of his parents' faith. He knew the story of Abraham and his journey from from Ur. He knew the story of Isaac, how he's nearly offered up as a sacrifice. This was things that they would have talked about. He knew of their religious experiences. But now for the first time, he's come face to face with God. And he's scared and he's overwhelmed. You were in this place and I didn't know it. I wasn't aware of it, and now my eyes have been opened. Adrian Plass, Christian writer, tells a great story. I think I've told it before, but it's so good I'll tell it again. 
Um, he was speaking at a conference. He writes, he writes kind of novels and plays and things like that. And he's speaking at a conference. He's going on after the big speaker on the main stage. And the speaker's preaching. And the, uh, the, the speaker goes out and he preaches. His, his, his sermon is quite simple. Uh, basically, he says, um, I'm not worried because I belong to God. I belong to God and therefore I am not worried. I'm not afraid because I belong to God. And because I belong to God, I am not afraid. It's a great rousing sermon. He comes off the stage, the worship band are playing, and Adrian's plast is going to go on, he's going to do his bit. And the, and the speaker says to Adrian, yeah, was that okay? He says, that was great. You knocked him down. It was fantastic. I said, I'm really worried. I'm really worried they didn't get it. He said, no, I think, I think they got it. I think it was pretty clear. I think it was fine. He said, I'm really afraid they're not going to kind of get it. Adrian says to him, what are you talking about? You've just spent for 40 minutes. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. You come off. You say to me, I'm really worried. I'm really afraid. What are you talking about? The guy says, oh, I know. But that was preaching. <laughs> I know, but that was preaching. Church kids have an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is that they grow up in a community of faith, that they're at home in church, they're at home in worship, they're at home in the stories of the Bible and applying the scriptures uh, to their lives. But they're at a disadvantage too, that they're familiar with this stuff. And us too, we who come every week, we're at an advantage because this, this is the air we breathe, this is the food and wine that we drink, but we're familiar with this stuff. We can be over-familiar, and it can just be church stuff. Just preaching, just church stuff. The Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. But the good news is that Jacob's eyes are opened. His father's faith becomes his faith. That's what Parenting for Faith is all about. That's the goal of what we're aiming for as a church. Not that we just teach stuff, not that we get kids to behave the right way, but that they develop a confidence in faith, that the faith of us becomes their faith. And it will look different to our our faith, and it will have a different shape and different priorities. It 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 will be very different to our faith because it will be their faith. And what we want is for them to have the the confidence that Jacob has. That they will know that God is with them and God journeys with them and God will go before them and God will come after them. Jacob's journey continues. He gets up the next day and he's still on his own. Still not got no money. Still doesn't know where he's going to go and on he continues. This encounter is important and it's significant in Jacob's life, but it's, it's not the end of the story. The story continues through the book of Genesis. Just a few chapters on, chapter 4, Jacob wrestles with God. There's another nighttime encounter. I don't know what it is about Jacob that God comes to him in the night, but he does. And this time, Jacob wrestles with God. Wrestles with God throughout the night. And he doesn't recognize who he is wrestling with. So much so that at the end of the encounter, when Jacob is left uh, wounded, he demands to know who it is who has, has wounded him, and the Lord reveals himself. And 
Jacob does the same thing again. He leaves a marker. He makes a milestone. He remembers this place. And he calls this place Peniel. El meaning Lord. Uh, pen meaning uh, revealed or discovered. I saw the Lord here. I discovered the Lord here. This is a lesson that Jacob is to learn and relearn throughout his life. It's not just once and for all. That God is with him and will be with him and will guard him and protect him. Never too late. Never too late to learn that lesson. One of the things that um, I'm aware of as our children have got older is how the family dynamics have changed. Now, the spiritual dynamics of the family have changed. Uh, when, when your children are young, it's kind of easier. I mean, I know Ellen uh, shared, you know, there are challenges there. We know those doing Bible time at night and all of that kind of stuff. It can be, it can be tricky. Um, but generally, it's kind of easier. Just get the kids together. This is what we do. Have a Bible story. Have a prayer. There you go. As you get older, the dynamic changes. It becomes different. It's different with a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old and a, and a 12-year-old. Came in the other day, uh, discovered my uh, 16-year-old and my 12-year-old in the kitchen uh, with the fridge open and the beer out. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? 16-year-old said, I'm just, I'm just showing... Uh, my 16-year-old is called Ethan, you know he's called Ethan. Ethan said, I'm just, I'm just teaching Aaron a life skill. <laughs> okay, what's the life skill? He said, he needs to know this, Dad. I'm showing him how to open a bottle of beer with a knife when you haven't got a bottle opener. (laughs) Family prayers on a Sunday, they don't kind of work in that dynamic. But it's not too late. Not too late. So for us, it's different. Different for all our kids. Our youngest, it's prayers at bedtime. Middle one, it's worship night at church. It's singing in the worship group. Older one, it's different. It's different. It's 17 soon. It's talking on the car journey. It's catching him at those reflective moments. It's reminding him of that time when he went to um, a Christian conference, Christian festival. Reminding him of those little markers that were there in his life. Never stops, never ends, never too late. Finally, the promises that are made to Jacob are promises for us too. And they're promises that are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Yes and the Amen. All the promises of God are fulfilled in him. Let's read from Matthew's Gospel. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him... They worshipped him, but some doubted. It's interesting. I find it fascinating. The risen Lord Jesus, been following him for three years. He appears before you. Some worship, some doubt. Jacob discovers that God is there. This is the house of God. I met with God. I didn't know him. A few weeks later, who are you? I'm God. Discovers God afresh. Faith and doubt go together. Worship and doubt, hand in hand. 
They saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let's pray, and then we've got one more short video to watch. Let's bow our heads. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his presence with us. And Lord, we pray that he would reveal himself afresh to us, that by your spirit you would reveal him afresh to us and to our children, the children of our church, the children in our families. Pray for us and them that as we find our way in this world, we would know that you are with us, they would know that you are with them, they would know your guidance and your guarding. In Jesus' name, amen. Now watch one more uh, video, part of the, the series that we've been watching. This one speaks for itself. Kids' interests naturally ebb and flow as they discover new things. Surfing the waves is about recognizing how that affects their connection with God and supporting them through it. Children are all different in how they connect with God and play their part in His big plan. We want to recognize and help them develop however they're engaging best at the moment. What spiritual wave are they surfing right now? That might mean playing the same worship music over and over in the car because they love it, but sometimes waves are less obvious. You might notice that they spent more time in church watching the techie team and what was going on there than worshiping, but maybe that's an interest that God is growing in them. How about asking them whether they want to get involved and offering to help them connect with the church team and see where it goes? It doesn't matter if it's something that they connect with for a long time or just a little while. The joy is in spotting the wave and journeying with your child as they surf it, giving them support, encouragement, and opportunities along the way. Surfing the Waves is about helping you learn to ride the waves of whatever's happening in your child's life and helping them find God in it. prepare for communion we're going to share the peace with one another let's stand through the cross of christ we have peace with god and peace with one another the peace of the lord be always with you we offer each other a sign of peace As we prepare for communion, Hannah's going to lead us in worship.